Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Everybody, Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And today is a huge honor for me uh, to talk with our very special guest here, all the way from Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Mr. Carl Detman. Carl is a uh, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual. Uh, he's one of the top uh, financial advisors in the entire country. Uh, we'll get into that here in a little bit, but uh, he's one of my favorite people to talk to. As we go th- throughout this episode, uh, you'll learn why. So welcome to the, uh, the call here, Carl. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. So always happy. Always happy every time we get a chance to connect up and chance we get to talk. So. Awesome, man. So the, uh, the one thing that I uh, really admire about you and your story is before you were in uh, financial and wealth management, you, you, you actually lived uh, as a very successful entrepreneur, right? So entrepreneurial all your life. Um, yep. And uh, I, I know also that you have a, a very fascinating uh, origin story, how you got started uh, within um, the... It, entrepreneurship. So if you could, could you go into that a little bit and just share that with everybody, what life was like yeah. uh, with uh, 14 year old Carl Detman? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I, I, my venture into entrepreneurship and it started at a really young age. Um, and when you look at people who are entrepreneurs at a really, really young age, you got to look at why. And either it's because they've been empowered by their parents and they've just been set free to like go and go and explore um which that's what we would hope uh would be the would be the reasoning or the other side of the coin which is very often is the case is it's an escape and so in my side of things um you know my mom and dad are both wonderful people and just like every parent you know they did everything that they knew how to do and loved me exactly how they knew how to um that being said I found at a very young age that if I was making money and if I was being productive, uh, that I got more freedom and that I was able to to create uh, an environment that was healthier for me. And so um, for me, the, you know, I had a litany of just like your normal companies uh, when you're like a little kid, like mowing lawns. And uh, like, I actually way back in the day, there's an area in Wisconsin called Door County where they where it's like a tourist area and there's all these trinket shops. And we actually had all of the kids in the neighborhood learned how to make wood pens on a lathe, like these high-end wood pens. And so the first company my brother and I had was uh, was doing that. And we, you know, we made good money. We sold the pens for hundred bucks a piece and we'd be selling about 10 a week. Um, and so that was, you know, some real, that was real cash for when you're 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, <clears throat> but birth of the internet came around and 1994, uh, you know, started making website splash pages. And by the time 1996 rolled around was when the birth of e-commerce came into the picture. And so then started helping out making e-commerce websites. Uh, and then by the time the dot-com bubble burst, uh, you know, the, the company had become quite successful. And so we were in the space making websites. Um, and, and it's, what's neat now is, you know, websites that would take years to build and cost millions of dollars. Now you can just get for the click of a button, um, but it was at the right place at the right time. And that really set off my trajectory as entrepreneur. Um, so uh, that company ended up having 
some great success um, and then started a second company uh, that was the birth of online photo sharing um, and doing photography. And that ended up being with my twin brother, David. Um, we ended up being very successful in that business as well. And so for me, I woke up at a young age uh, and by the time we were done with both of those companies, I was 24, 25, um, and was in a different financial position than most people. My, uh, what was interesting, even as a kid though, uh, is, you know, I was in a very different financial position, but to me, money always seemed kind of like, uh, it's just made up. And, and if we actually, I'm sure we'll talk about this today a little bit is that money is actually just made up. But even as a little kid, I just thought I was made up, um, and, you know, there's benefits of, of starting a company when you're really young, uh, because you get to learn a lot when the stakes aren't as high, if that makes sense. So I've had a lot of life lessons come where it was easy for me to pivot because I wasn't having to worry about paying for rent or a roof over my head. And so um, for me, entering into the wealth management side of things uh, really came because I had to figure out some of my own financial tax, legal, estate planning and I had friends that had similar, cause like attracts like, so you end up having people that are in, in similar financial situations that kept on asking me and tapping me on the shoulder for advice. And I would send them, you know, to different legal professionals, tax professionals. Um, and then they'd come back to me after somebody had, you know, tried their best, but botched it because in the grand scheme of things, the, the way the whole financial services industry and tax and legal industry has work, worked was uh, businesses were brick and mortar. So if you ran an online business or derived your income online, CPAs and attorneys didn't know how to work with you. Same thing with the wealth management side of things. Most of those wealth managers, it was just W-2 employees, you know, saving up for retirement, very simple. But when you run into a 1099 business owner, especially one that's younger, so if you're under 50 years old and you're making, you know, decent money, um, the, the, the industry really didn't serve um, very well in those places. And even to this day, it still doesn't. But so for me... You know, one of those things that you have divine timing. I kept on saying no to this opportunity to be in the finance space. And then uh, there were some dominoes that just fell. And I'm like, all right, it's the universe is pushing me in this direction. I just got to go for it. Because in my perspective, you know, one of the, the companies that I'd done a lot of work for was American Girl, the, the doll company. And so you tell people you work for American Girl and, you know, people just open up about how the, you know, that company is so great and they are just been so enriching and everything else. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'm about to tell people I'm going to be a financial advisor. And you, you know, hear like some you know, skull and crossbones hiss and all this other stuff. But then I looked in my community and actually even within my family. And when you look at a lot of the very prominent people in the business community that are into philanthropy and really making an impact, like the essence of wealth management and financial advising is comes from a really good spot. Um, and so for me, I look at this, I'm like, all right, if I can't do this, who can, I might as well roll up my sleeves and give it a go. And so instead of being in the role of with my business, uh, creating new products and new services, uh, I chose to take a step is, is to be a, to be an advisor, to be a coach. Um, and so, you know, that was 12, 13 years ago. Uh, and so it's been a really fun ride. Um, and when when I look at, you know, what the, the business has blossomed into today, when I look at the clients that I get to work with, which most of them I consider to be friends, um, because you just, you know, uh, get to work with people you really enjoy being around. Um, it's very rewarding and it's, and, you know, so I, I, at times I get to pinch myself because I, I look at my career that I've had so far. And like, when I look at, you know, some of the things I I've made a choice and I'm sure I'll talk about this today. I've made a choice to not be the wealthiest person that I know. Uh, when I look at career wise, if I kept on launching and selling businesses, I would have made a heck of a lot more money 
than if I'm sitting advising people and getting paid a little bit of a percentage of assets under management. Um, but on the flip side, I look at my life and I do consider myself to be one of the wealthiest people that I know uh, because I think wealth extends way beyond uh, how big your bank account is. And so that's a, that's a, that's a little bit snapshot. Great. Great. So uh, just want to connect a couple dots there. One, uh, glad you brought up American Girl Doll. I'm a giant consumer. I'm not sure I was in 1996 when I was a freshman in college, but uh, definitely buying a lot of American Girl Doll stuff today, uh, items today. So that's great. The, pretty much a whole entire wing of our house is American Girl Doll <laughs> stuff. So that's great. Um, the, the other thing um, that I just want to make sure is clear for all of the listeners is uh, by the time you were 24, 25, you had exited successfully both of those businesses and uh, right. you, you had a significant cash position there. I won't go Nathan mm -hmm. Otko on you and try to get uh, every decimal sure. out of you, sure. but um, it, it, you were in a unique position as a 24, 25 year old. Correct. Um, Correct. Great. So the, the other thing that I wanted to say, uh, which you brought up the skull and crossbones. So I had crossed it off of my list to cover here, but uh, it actually came up for me this morning, man. So uh, I'm in the 6 a.m. Brazilian jiu-jitsu class, and uh, I was hanging out afterwards. So this is like an MMA gym. They do judo, wrestling, all that stuff. And uh, it actually, the one instructor there is a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. And there, I'm not going to give you the locker room talk, but there was a, a negative connotation towards that person. And you know, it, essentially you can't trust financial advisors. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth here. And this is the wrong place to do it. Cause I might I may get to my car, but uh, I said, you know, there, there's a smart way to think about that. And if you're just looking at a financial advisor to do nothing more than handpick a few, uh, you know, funds Lots. or whatever. Yep. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, mutual funds, it, it, you're missing the value, but I, I said, I'm going to have a conversation with a guy today that I'm very much looking forward to, Carl. And I said, I, I've known him for seven, eight years now. And I said, he has given me advice and it, it's a seven figure relationship. Like what he has brought forth in terms of tax savings and structuring my life, you know, with six kids and future planning and everything else, like that value is beyond belief. Um, mm -hmm. And like, that's, it goes beyond, you know, what mutual funds I'm in. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyhow, just wanted to inject that. that in there. You're very welcome. Um, also, do we need to say a disclaimer because I'm about to ask you some financial questions? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I mean, I would, and I would have added this in here anyways. You know, I'm not going to give specific recommendations, but I can give ideas. And obviously, uh, so I'm a fiduciary, um, but like this is not specific uh, financial advice or tax advice. So when you look at any of the type of stuff, so if you're going to implement anything, call up your CPA, call up your attorney, call up your financial advisor. Um, so that is the disclaimer is there. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is not a medical diagnosis. <laughs> Great. That's what we have to say all the time in uh, yep. healthcare profession. So uh, number one is um, current state of the economy. I'm wondering if you can talk about that. You know, it's been a wild ride the last 18 months. Um, you totally. know, we got uh, Bitcoin and crypto and that whole rush and real estate prices going crazy, but it's only some segments of the market fund. You know, obviously Dow's at a all time record high. Can you make sense of it all? Just give us like a, uh, some idea yeah. of what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, so the answer is uh, I will I'll give you my two cents on this um, because if you zoom back far enough and we can understand that 
our reality is literally based on what people believe. I mean, like everything in our world is based on what we just consensusly believe, then it can all make sense. Because the, the question would be is, is how can the Dow be at an all-time high? How can everything else when we're in the middle of a pandemic? You know, how can, you know, the government be sustainable when we look at having all these people that are literally, there's a huge labor shortage in the United States right now. And it's not because the people don't exist. It's because the, based on unemployment benefits and the bonus benefit, it actually makes more sense for people to actually not work. And this gives us a taste of where we're headed as a society. Um, but, you know, I think that when we look at uh, in general, we'll talk about, we'll, we'll pick apart a couple of different pieces and we'll, we'll dive into it. And I'll, how, let me ask this. How long do you want me to answer this question? You want me to go for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes? Uh, five to 10 is great. Sounds good. So first we'll talk about the, the stock market. And when we look at the stock market and everybody says the, that the we're due for a reset, we're due for a depression. It's, it's, it's coming, it's imminent. Uh, during the Great Depression in the 1920s, how well the market did mattered. Meaning it was like during the Great Depression, your neighbor died because of starvation, because they didn't have enough food, because there wasn't enough food to go around. The world we live in today is a vastly different world where literally the market is a game and does it have implications and does it matter? The answer is yes, it does. But by and large, for most people, whether the market's up or the market's down, does that mean whether they're going to have a roof over their head or does that mean whether they're going to have food in their belly? The answer is no. And so when we look at uh, also up until about the 1980s to 90s, the market reflected where our current economy was. I think that's something really important that most people don't realize is that, so if the economy was sucky, that meant the market was sucky. When we look at what happened in the 90s, and there used to be these Bloomberg terminals that, that stockbrokers would pay $15,000 a month for a subscription to this, this Bloomberg terminal because it would give you information just a second before the general public would get it. And so what happened was, is the market started to play from ahead. So if you wanted to get from ahead and for a long time in the 90s and the 2000s, there was this thing of, can I get information faster? Well, now getting information faster is pretty ubiquitous. And so in general, the market and what happens in the market is actually a reflection of what is viewed in the future. So an example would be when we look at what happened with the market over the last year and a half, when COVID hit, the market went down. You know, if you remember anybody who's listening out here remembers, but it was down for a whole three months. Well, what happened in those three months? So at the end of three months, even though the news and the media coverage was just like, we're just getting started, we're just rolling into this, this pandemic is going to suck. When you looked at the actual reports, well, it wasn't that 2% of people were dying from COVID. It was that 0.2% of people were dying from COVID. And I think the market is out. The market is, in my eyes, it cuts through some of the BS that the, that the news might portray to you as to how good or bad our future outlook of the world is. And so at this point in time, it's predicting a couple of years down the road, once it saw that, guess what? Not everybody's dying from COVID. Yes, this is going to kind of suck a little bit, but, but the market popped right back up. So people may not feel like we had a recession or a depression, but my prediction in the future is that recessions and depressions, they're going to have to change what the definition is because it's not going to be a two-year, three-year down market. It's going to be a three-month, six-month down market, unless we face something that literally is going to suck for years to come. So when we look at the market, it makes sense that the market recovered because it's not looking at the current state of the economy, which the economy is actually doing pretty well. It's actually looking down the line in the future. And when we look at the future outlook of the economy, uh, it's strong. Um, and we have, I mean, like we look at this, we've got labor shortage issues. We've got uh, supply chain issues. Um, when we do look at concerns and like when I have conversations with my clients about what we should be concerned about, the, the real deal we should be concerned about is inflation. 
Uh, and it's not going to be like World War II Berlin type inflation where effectively your money is useless and you just should burn it for, for, for heating. Uh, but when we look at, it's been a really long time since we've had a healthy inflation rate. It's been a really long time. And so it's coming and it's here. And we already see that being reflected. The, the government's now starting to recognize the fact that inflation is here. But the reason why understanding that inflation is a real risk is if the market stays flat for three years in a row, but inflation keeps ticking on, that means it's technically a down market, even though we won't call it a down market, if that makes sense, because you're losing purchasing power because your assets aren't keeping pace. Like one of the things we've seen this year is that the market's up and it's done really well. Um, that's, that's, I think that that's largely due to inflation and inflation, and that, that'll be for the next couple of years is that we're gonna be continuing to see inflation. That being said, if I can give like suggestions for people, cash is a bad place to be during an inflationary period. Having equities and having real estate holdings are really good places to be during inflationary times. Um, when we look at to transition uh, into the crypto space, because like crypto is here and crypto is here to stay. Um, and if that wasn't any, if we haven't, it, it, it's amazing though, because uh, I talk to clients all day long about just their crypto space, what they should be doing. Um, and you have both ends of the spectrum. You have one end of the spectrum that thinks that crypto is going to, you know, the United States government is going to make crypto illegal. Um, which bear in mind, just so, just so you know, like that's that is a that it, that the United States government has that ability to do that. And if we want to talk about why that is, we can. I don't think it's that material. But the point being is, is there's one extreme that says the United States makes crypto illegal, and if they make it illegal, most people will not elect to have that as a part of their portfolio. The other end of the extreme is, is that crypto is going to overthrow uh, centralized banking and overthrow our economies because the we need accountability, and that crypto is is the only true uh, currency. What I look at is like this, is I look at, and so we look at monetary policy and, and people say the monetary policy doesn't make sense. Like, like the fact that Chad, you and I can go and get a mortgage, a 30 year mortgage at 3% and be able to write off some of the interest expense on our taxes is kind of crazy. If, if crypto, if we didn't have messed up monetary policies, there's no way mortgages would be that low. So when we look at the cars we drive, the nice cars we drive, the skyscrapers in all of the cities, the roads that we drive on that are being funded by debt, uh, low rate, low interest rate mortgages, all of those things exist based on messed up monetary policies. If it wasn't for those messed up monetary policies, we would not be nearly as comfortable as we are today as, as a world and as a society. Because, and this is something I think if I were going to have people learn anything about money today, this would be it. All money is, is energy. That's it. Money moves things. And, and, and it's actually not even real. The only thing reason it's real is because we believe it's real. And so when we look at crypto in general, though, it serves a vital role because it is a it is a asset class that can't be messed with by the government uh, or, or messed very much. Uh, there is transparency. There is uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going for it. And just so we know, crypto and the backbone of blockchain is a superior form of transacting commerce. But unless crypto allows for monetary policy, which means that it, which would take away from what what blockchain is all about, it's never going to take over the world because even as it sits right now, only 0.1% of all the world's wealth sits inside any type of digital currency. 99.9% .9 of the world's wealth sits outside of it. So if, if, uh, if blockchain or crypto were to ever threaten 99.9%, .9 then they'll just again make it illegal. And so the best we can hope for is, is that, th that crypto and Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that stuff, it will serve a role for a subset of people. There will be some people who literally just decide 
kind of like people who decided I'm living off in the wilderness in Alaska. I think it was like being in the matrix and out of the matrix. The, the, the average American is going to live in the matrix. The average person in the world is going to live in the matrix where they have messed up monetary policies. We're all in the system and everything else. But there's going to be some people who are going to choose to take the pill. And the only thing they're going to live in is outside of the matrix, which means there will be some inconveniences, but they will feel rooted in, in what, what they have. What I see for most people is it will serve a role for a asset class for a part of what you do. And the more the government prints money and the more they try it plays yin to yang meaning if we think of like the yin and yang meaning like masculine feminine they play yin and yang they complement each other if we look at uh capitalism versus socialism yin and yang what i look at is, is we have monetary policies centralized banking and we have cryptocurrency it actually the crypto and having blockchain there helps hold the governments a little bit more accountable so that way they don't go crazier if that makes sense and so if they go crazier more people will start shifting stuff to, to 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 crypto if they go less crazy then again they're back in the matrix and so i think that it serves a role um but what i don't see is i don't see crypto as we know it today and if we want to dive down this rabbit hole i, I do see a future where there's digital currency but the point being is i don't see crypto as it exists today as taking over as the world's currency um but it still serves a role and it's a neat place uh to make some money and lose yeah. some money <laughs> <laughs> especially buying and selling uh data day trading crypto would be uh kind of crazy right now yep. but um yep. yeah yeah just listen to a uh, pretty good interview with uh kevin rose on the tim ferris podcast and kevin rose is highly involved in uh, i think it's blockify and a few other uh crypto spaces and they, they they did a pretty deep dive um but everything you said there carl with regarding uh you know the fed pumping $18 trillion or uh, $9 trillion in 2020 into the economy and devaluing the dollar and what that means long-term and how are we having 3% mortgage rates and 0% uh, on our saving, on our cash, right? Um, yep. it, they, they really do a deep dive into that. So um, yeah, I love what you said there. That's great. Anything else regarding uh, the future of the economy that uh, is worthwhile? If I'm yeah. a healthcare practitioner, let, let me set this up for you a little bit. Please healthcare do. practitioner, um, you know, I'm getting the uh, average healthcare uh, practice owner is making 100 to 300k a year. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, what I hear you saying is, you know, if this inflation continues, my $150,000 that I'm making a year, it, th that buying power is going to decrease. So making 150 in 2024 might be like making 75k today, right? If, if we have crazy yep. inflation. So yep. in terms of buying power, so what, what, what is there about the future of the economy and how can yeah. I plan ahead as a, as a clinician? Yeah. So a couple, a couple things uh, here. And when we look at like the inflation uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be, I mean, my prediction is it's not going to be crazy. Like where you're the value of your, your dollars have in a couple of years. Um, it's going to be more like a five, six, 7% inflation, which bear in mind is still high. That's the, we look at a five, five to six percent inflation rate. That is still high. Um, just to give people some context, because some of your listeners maybe weren't adults when they were in the 80s. Uh, we've already endured and survived and done just fine through higher inflationary periods. Just like if you wanted to take out a home mortgage, just to give you some perspective in the 1980, or eight, late 80s, early 90s, 17 percent. If you wanted a home loan, if you wanted a car loan, 25 to 30 percent was that was the normal rate. And so, but but where we're shifting to, and this is kind of like the future, and this is one of the things that 
if someone who today is making $100,000 a year is struggling to get by four years from now, that means everyone is struggling. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we just got to keep in mind. The other, there's a couple other things at play, though, as well, which, which we fail to recognize, and, and this may be a good tangent to dive into our conversation today, is that we are entering a time of extreme abundance. There is, like, we pay farmers not to plant food, literally as if, they, as, if they, as if they did. Like We subsidize all this other type of stuff. We are in a place of abundance. So technically, you may not have, like in, back in the day, it was like whoever had the castle had the security. And we look at this, but that doesn't like in like an example would be like inheritances. Inheritances were very important for generation after generation after generation because that meant that your your kids had a higher chance of surviving than you did. Today, if you're going to leave your kid an inheritance, unless they have special needs, you are just buying them a Ferrari quicker. Because at the end of the day, if we look at this, the, our parents, our grandparents, they were concerned about whether their kids had a home or not or had food in their belly. But I would ask yourself, if you have kids at this point in time, are you concerned about your kids having a roof over their head or food in their belly? Because chances are you're like, no, that's pretty much guaranteed unless something goes horribly wrong. And so when we look at this in general, uh, you know, I look at it's like one day at a time, head down, uh, do your work. As inflation goes, your prices should adjust. Everything adjusts. We've gone through inflationary periods in the past. Everything adjusts. And so you will be doing your adjustments, too, just like everybody else. Um, but when we look at the, the risks or threats to the economy, uh, I always ask myself this, I'm like, I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That's just kind of like a, a, the staple uh, junk food that I like. I ask myself when, when and this is even during COVID, when people are like, oh my gosh, the end of the world's happening. I'm like, do you ever see it getting bad enough that you won't be able to go to the store and get ice cream? And everybody answers like, no, I'm totally gonna be able to get ice cream. I go, do you think your life's really that bad? We have, we have changed what our perspective of wealth is. I mean, I can tell you, like, we are living, I mean, if you look at human history, we are living in a time when there is just abundance everywhere, even though the news will make us tell us otherwise, if we want to talk about the psychology, we can. And so when we look at, uh, from my side of things, we also are manifestors. And so I look at this, I would say, with inflation and outlook for the future, our economy will go through ups and downs, but literally it is, a, it is there to grab your attention. It is there to grab your attention. I think when we look at medical practitioners and that type of stuff, bigger threats to, to your guys' profession are going to be things like, like when you look at uh, your insurance, depending on where you are, your, the insurance companies that are sending patients your way, changing their policies so that overnight, you know, that, that business isn't being sent your way. Um, and, and really those, that, that being like bigger threats is being like more um, big policy changes from like the, the, the customers you serve because they mostly come from a specific insurance source. That's going to be a way bigger threat to your business than necessarily inflation or the economy is. That's great. Uh, chunky monkey. Chunky monkey is pretty good. I mean, I can tell you, I know like all the flavors. I my one of my favorites. Uh, I mean, there's tonight though, American dream. But one I've discovered recently is peanut butter half baked, and that one's legit. So, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll think of that a try. Um, the other thing that I want to bring up is uh, I saw a almost a, a mini riot of Karen's here uh, because Panera was not opening until 10 o'clock <laughs> because of the uh, worker shortage. Uh, they couldn't open until yeah. 10. So uh, it, it was unreal yeah. just to watch that. And I was like, oh, is this really a problem? You can go to, there's like 800 other places you can go to eat at right now. Yeah. But, uh, but, that, but that also shows where we are as a people. Like we just look at this and it's just like, you know, if we could all give ourselves a little grace and a little kindness, that the fact that people are getting hell bent about the fact they can't go to Panera at 10 a.m. in the morning, 
you know, our grandparents would just, if they, if they saw this, they would just walk up to everybody and they'd probably tell them off being like, you know, I had to walk uphill both ways to school and, you know, without shoes. Um, But yeah, that is where we are. Brutal. Um, And hopefully I didn't offend anybody by mentioning uh, Karen, but I think we all understand what that means. Uh, Number uh, next thing that I want to talk about here. uh, The third big point is I know, and you mentioned this earlier, uh, in the intro, but your take on, you know, you, you, one of the things you said was like, you could easily be, you know, the, have the most money of any person, you know, and just yeah. build and sell businesses, but you kind of have developed a new definition of wealth. And uh, I'd, I'd love for you yeah. to dive into exactly what that means. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to share. Um, to me, it was, you know, I, there was a point in my life and, and in this taught me a lot, uh, but I used to work um, every waking moment of every day because I wanted to. It was a choice. Now, bear in mind, it was default mode. I didn't really have any other options. And so I had to actually work to wake up to the fact that there was things like that. But I was good at the work I was doing. It was yielding in society's eyes, you know, positive results. My bank account was growing. Um, but I remember one, I, I, I worked with a good life coach and, and she said to me, she goes, literally, she's like, I need to challenge you to be comfortable doing nothing. And it took me a while to do that. Uh, it took me about six months. And, then, and the, the task was you have to sit on Wednesdays. We figured out my prime revenue day. And prime revenue day was Wednesdays. Uh, and it was just so easy for me to just work, work, work. And so she just said, you know, for the sake of, and, and as a point, I had enough financial success. And she's like, I want to challenge you. You need to get better at the skill of doing nothing. And so the name of the game was every Wednesday, I would go and sit and people watch at a park somewhere, wherever I was on the planet and no technology and the goal was uh, I had to do that until I was comfortable. And I literally remember in most things, you, somebody gives a suggestion, you give it a go. And after like a couple of weeks or a month, you're, you, you got it. You, you got this new routine figured out. For me, five months in, I literally remember saying uh, to one of my friends, I go, I literally feel like I'm a failure at life. I, and bear in mind, this is just because I was taking one day off and this just was showing me things about myself. It had nothing to do with anybody else. But I'm like, I'm a failure at life. My business is going to fail and everything else. Yet I go to my... Uh, CFO and our PNLs are better than ever. Uh, you know, things, everything's pointing. The only thing that's, that's, that's not right is in my mind. And so at six months, I finally submitted and gave in and like got really comfortable. And I actually, it's something I really enjoy is uh, taking time to actually do in my eyes, it's not nothing. It's actually lots of things. It's, it's just, but not having to work. Um, not even be so focused on always building. And that, that year it hit me when new year's rolled around because my net worth had actually gone down that year. And I'm sitting here reflecting back and I'm like, how do I feel about the fact that my net worth went down? And I'm like, oddly enough, I feel like this is the wealthiest year I've ever had in my life. And it hit me that there's a thousand types of bank accounts that exist on this planet. Only one has money in it. The other 999 are the energetic interactions we have with other people, the impact that I get to make in every day, whether, whether it be with my family or my friends or the community. And this also means like, and, and how much joy do I experience? And so when I look back at that year, that was, that was, you know, that was a turning point for me to really lean into that wealth. It's, it's like, it's like, the question is, is you may be wealthy, but are you rich in life? And I think that there's so much value because things that make us can make us feel wealthy or rich don't, it's literally all up in our head. And, uh, and it's, so that's, that's a quest I've been on for five years of really diving into much deeper of what does wealth mean for me and then helping other people figure out what does really wealth and what does being wealthy mean for you. 
Cool. So uh, follow up to that. You talked about, you know, the interactions you're having with others, the impact that you're having in the community and the other people's lives, the relationships that you're building, the experiences that you're having. Um, what were some of the changes that you made as a professional after you had your six month awakening yep. there? Yeah. Yep. It's great. So one of the things I, cause, cause for me, you can always strive for more, right? We can always strive for more. We can always strive for for more money and that type of stuff. So I looked at this and I said, I actually, one of the things I did is I put myself on an allowance. And so I, so for me, it was one of those things that, um, so I, I put myself on a, on a big adult allowance and this is the amount of money I had to spend on an annual basis. And I got to just choose how I wanted to spend it. This number I will share, cause it's not even like, to me, I like this, I have a, a vineyard that I live on in Wisconsin and every single year, and I feel fortunate that I have the ability to do this, I, I earmark a quarter of a million dollars that, that is there for the vineyard to be able to run and manage, to pay for, to feed the alpacas and all that stuff. And, and this property becomes a place that becomes a gift to, to my friends and to the community to be able to use. Personally, I have an adult allowance of a quarter million dollars and this pays for all of the travel, business involvements I want to be in, you know, business groups I want to be in, all that type of stuff. Um, and so for me, and anything I make above that, literally, mo like almost all of it gets given to charity. And so um, for me, if I wanted to make more money, if I want to make a million, $2 million a year, if I wanted to do that, uh, I, that meant it was going to charity. I, I had my allowance, I was going to live off of it. And so for me, what that meant is, is that I had to focus on, uh, if I was going to lean into my own wealth, I wasn't just going to solve the problems with money because oftentimes as business owners, because we look at this and it's like, oh, I can solve this problem with a check for $10,000. I can solve this problem with a check for $50,000. You get caught in this loop where eventually your lifestyle takes so much to maintain because you're just solving all your problems with money and then you just work more, but then you miss out on your kids' soccer games. You miss out on having a more deep and fulfilling enriching uh uh, relationship with your spouse. Uh, big thing, and I think this is like for me, been a, like a huge focus of mine over the last couple of years is uh, white Europeans, especially, have lost their way in essence of tribe. If I don't like you, I just don't spend time around you. So when we look at this, like when we look at there's two cultures that still have an aspect of tribe, and it is uh, the Hispanic world as well as uh, the Jewish world. Those are the two, those are the two different uh, subgroups of people that have still have an essence of tribe. And so, but our human psyche, it's so important. When we want to like, talk to the wealthiest people, the wealthy, and when I say wealthy, it means like rich in life people, chances are they have a very deep and fulfilling tribe. And that is something that really, I feel like has been a very lost art. And so for me, it was, I was looking at um, like an example would be on my calendar. If I worked with clients whom I looked at if the second I saw their name on the calendar, I was like, mm. that was like meaning I wasn't excited about it. Uh, that meant that I needed to have, I needed to have a courageous conversation with that person to say, we either need to shift our relationship. So it gets to a place where, where we both are excited for it, or it makes sense for us to go in our separate directions. And I would say probably 60 to 70% of the time, uh, people went their separate directions, but 30 to 40% of the time, people, they would up level be like, oh, thank you for giving me this feedback of what's working for you, what's not working for you. Um, but because I put myself on that allowance, right? So I put myself on the allowance, I knew that how much money I needed to make to make sure I was okay. So I gave myself the freedom to make those shifts and make those changes um, to, you know, where I am today, where I look at my routine that I have on a daily basis. And in the routine I have, aligns with what I do for a living because I'm here experimenting, trying things out. Like I'm sitting in my RV right now uh, that I travel around during the winter to go visit friends and clients and have experiences and community and tribe. 
well, I'm not 80 years old. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not waiting until I'm retired and until I'm 65 to have the tour bus RV to drive around. I'm giving a chance to do it now so I can learn. So when my clients get to that point in life, then they can ask me, you know, Hey, I, I want to, hey, I thought about getting an RV. What are your thoughts? I'm like, well, actually I did that for five, 10 years. Um, and so it helps me stay in a state of flow where I get to experiment and try new things that I feel like is important to me as and likelihood is going to be important for other people I know to be trying in the future as well. Great. Uh, I know you work with a lot of healthcare practitioners uh, mm -hmm. within your client base. Is there like one uh, baby step that all, so the, the average practitioner owner, you know, is working that 60 to 75 hour a week. They're still treating in the clinic 40 to 50 hours a week. We are time starved with family um, and flexibility and don't have time to, you know, sit in a sauna and meditate all day, or we're dreaming about the RV trip. Is there yep. one baby step that you help clients with? Totally. Uh, most often. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, and my guess is I'll give you like, can I give you more than one baby step? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, Cause it, conversely, in the financial advising realm, I mean, same, same deal. You're in a services business and it is your, people can feel like they're a slave to the work. Um, so a couple things. One is, is up-leveling your ability to delegate and manage. Most of us who are entrepreneurs are really not good at managing in general. And this means, and this can be a, we could have a whole podcast on just how to up-level your management skills, but this means how can I delegate tasks? And how can I, and like, oftentimes when we delegate stuff, we're just so tired of it. So like I hire somebody to help me and then I just like hands off the wheel. I don't, I don't, I'm like, Oh, you got this now. And then two months later we come back and, and, you know, they've blown the marketing budget. Things aren't working the way we want it to. And then we come back in riding back in and it just like, so in general, people's uh, ability to be really good managers is one of the best things that we possibly can do. Um, so that's, that is one example um, can you still hear me, Chad? It looks like your my signal may be dying out. I can hear go. you just fine. Yes. Sounds good. All right, cool. So, so management and delegation is, is super duper important. Um, because when you think about this, when you have hands on patients, there's only so much you can charge per hour period. Uh, so when we look at, uh, moving outside of that, and if I can hire somebody to do $50 an hour work, $100 an hour work. So I can sit on the stuff that's giving me $500 an hour work. That's, that's a step in the right direction. So when we look at this, time, time is, the, is the biggest piece to be a guardian of. And the other thing too, which I look at this is treating yourself like a high performance athlete. Am I treating myself like a $50 an hour athlete or a $25 an hour athlete? Or am I treating myself like a $1,000 an hour an athlete? And, and when I say that, I, I remember I gave this blanket advice to someone once and then they went out and just got all the massages and everything else, but then the revenue didn't come in. I'm like, well, you treated yourself like a, you know, you're making 20 million a year, but I was like, but you're not. I'm like, you need to do these things to be more successful, not because you're successful. You need to do these things. Like what would a $1,000 an hour uh, business owner do? They're, they're not going to be responding to too many emails. They're just not. Because, but you look at this, uh, and when I, if I were going to look at uh, one piece of management advice I would give to someone, it, it is this thing of inspect what you expect. So when you delegate and hand off a, ta a task, oftentimes, because as an entrepreneur, we just had to figure it out. You just have to figure it out. You have to figure out your marketing system. You just have to figure out all this type of stuff. Instead, we, we don't want to put those beliefs on other people where they're just supposed to figure it out. 
if my employees are supposed to be an extension of me, an extension of the vision. So like an example would be my assistant, Amber, she responds to almost every single email I have. I, I literally, I don't even have, uh, I maybe respond to about four or five emails a month and that's it. Uh, but it took us about a year to get there. Where what happened is, is I started, we would go through the emails together. She would start typing up responses and put them in my draft folders. I would let her know and give her feedback till eventually her, when she would tap, draft up a response, it would sound like it was coming from me. And now we've been doing this for 10 years. Now it's, now it's like clockwork. Um, and so it's these little baby steps where it's like, in, in like one of the rule, I have like rules of engagement on my team. Uh, rule number two is make Carl obsolete. I mean, think about that. If you told your employees, we're like, their role in life is to make you obsolete. They're, I want to hire. The other thing too, when we look at hiring, and I'll, this will be the last piece I'll give, and then because I, I just keep going on this forever, is oftentimes when we hire, uh, we we want to be the top dog. I can tell you, I love hiring people that scare me in a good way of what they're capable of, meaning that they're very capable, very amazing at what they do, because I like. I can tell you there are things in, in the business every once in a while now that I get my hands into and usually get my hands slapped because I just screwed it up because they're just so good at what they do. And so, uh, but I think it's like, wh why, why do I have to be the top dog? And so, you know, rule number two on my team is make Carl obsolete. And if you can get your staff and employees behind that, uh, it's not a, not a bad place to be. Love it. Um, the, I want to dive into expense like an athlete a little more. Can you give uh, yep. one or like a few examples, I, I know how I processed it, but um, how, how can I do that? Where can I start in terms of uh, sure. doing that? Yeah. Yeah. So when we think about like how we show up on a daily basis, so then like you said, you know, like, well, I don't have the freedom to meditate and all that type of stuff on a, you know, for, for two hours, which most of us don't. But when I look at, uh, again, treating myself as a high valued athlete, and if we, and if we think about, um, like what types of food are good for your body, but also will make you feel good. It's like, what can I do to make myself a better performing athlete? What, how should I move my body? What workouts should I get in? What clothes should I wear? What, what allows me to feel? I can tell you, uh, it was surprising to me how uh, when I got clothes that I enjoyed being and they really felt genuine to me, how it allowed me to just shine a little bit brighter. And so when it comes down to is those choices that you make on a daily basis, and I'll give you an example of like a high performance athlete. If you're a super high performance athlete, do you think that a high performance athlete, unless they choose to and like to, uh, they're picking up the dog poop in their backyard? Probably not. Or mowing their lawn, unless they like doing those things. Like most people's existence in life is work at work and then work when you get home and then hope to sleep. You know, hope to get good sleep so you can hit the repeat button again. It has to do with, with what things can we do to, uh, and, there's, and I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of this, you have those working on your business and there's working in your business. We want to be working on our business all the time, but most people are just stuck working in their business all the time. We're just in the day in and day out tasks all day long. And so if you're a high performance athlete, so what can we do to get some stuff off your plate? So that way you can actually step up to being working on your business, not always being in it. Um, but that's, I don't know if that makes any sense or if you want me to dive in with more clarification, but there's it goes a thousand different ways with treating yourself like a high-performance athlete. Yeah, it's great. So the I, I know the the thing that really resonated with me and what I um, what seems to be the the big point is you know we have things that are ten dollar twenty dollar an hour activities right maybe fifty mm -hmm. or hundred if we're talking about treating and then we have a thousand dollar activities a thousand dollar an hour activities. So the more time that we can spend there and become more competent and like you said up leveling our 
personnel management, team building skill skill set, the more valuable um, we are in life. If there is something like uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't mind taking care of the animals. We do have, you know, I took your advice and got alpacas as yeah. well. So the mini donkeys, the horse, I don't mind um, yep. taking care of the animals at all. But uh, we, there are other things that, you know, like mowing the paddocks, we hire that out. There's, uh, um, yeah, the, the, we have uh, help at home in terms of taking care of the six kids and all the housework and everything else and hiring that out so that I can uh, really lead a, a wealthier life. Like you're talking about spending more time doing what I actually want to do and going to the gym in the morning, you know, so I have mm. time to do that and I don't have to be at the office at seven things along those lines. But uh, yeah, makes a ton of sense. Yep. Um, I have one more comment. I have one more comment yeah. on this because I think it's like we look at oftentimes uh, when whenever I help coach people through doing some of this up leveling, this thing of of guilt and shame of like, well, who am I to deserve this? Who am I to deserve offloading some of this stuff? Uh, and that, you know that goes. But but I, my oftentimes my response looks at this is what lesson do you want to teach your kids? What do you want to show your kids? Do you want to show your kids that life is working? And then getting home and working and always being stuck with with what the way because we, we talk about how life should be. But you look at this kids, kids in general, they, they're not looking at what they see. They're not looking at what they hear. They're looking at what they see. And so for me, I look at this. I'm just like, and, and if you can't figure it out, you're just passing. I, this is like a new thought for me. And this came from like some intergenerational trauma reading I've been doing. But it's like if you're not willing to do the work then pick out which of your kids, which, which one is going to do the work, because if you don't do the work, you're passing it right along to your kids. So if you don't teach it, so if I can't think, and, I, and for me, I look at this, I'm like, cause you know, and, and I grew up in the Midwest, the Midwest is like this thing of pretty much bleeding hearts and, you know, like very much give the, give the shirt off your back, which is great. Um, but it's learning and like, you don't want to offend anybody. Right. So we don't want to offend anybody. Like I wouldn't want to offend someone with the fact that I have a housekeeper. Right. I, you know, because that, you know, who am I, because I, I mean, who are you that you you're so highfalutin, you have a housekeeper. But I guess I say, Someone's got to do that internal work. And so, so it says, if it's not going to be you, then pick which one of your kids or your grandkids is going to be the one to do the work. And that can be super motivating to do the work because you're just passing. Someone's got to do it. So you're just passing along. And so for me, I look at this and say, I'll be the one to do the work. Um, I'll help other people do the work so that we can actually sit here and, and realize. And for me, I've tr- changed things around. When I have a housekeeper, I have someone help. I'm actually employing someone to do what they want to do that hopefully helps their family. So instead of me being selfish, it's, it's interesting how, how we can unwind and we can rework these things to help create a world that's quite beautiful. Yeah, that's a great point because I did have a knee-jerk reaction. It was pretty reflexive even as I was talking about it there where I was like, oh, I'm going to say I'm a, have a housekeeper here even though she's like 12 hours a week, but it, it just portrays this like yep. Richie Rich uh, persona that we have here in Pennsylvania as well. And uh, mm-hmm. never want to come across like that, but it's a huge help for my wife and I with meals and uh, really allows us to spend more time with the kids. So really appreciate that. Um, I know you have a lot going on in life, what you're doing now, you shared uh, the RV tours and the, mm-hmm. the Detman cruiser there. And uh, what else is going on with the vineyard? Any new animals or any uh, new activities, anything like that? Yeah, well, we, so for me, like I, I you know, a really big um, piece for me has been this essence around tribe and community. And I do see uh, that there's going to be more traction behind that over the next decade um, for, for people to be able to have tribe and community. And so with that, having a place where people can come to stay and visit and have different experiences and that type of stuff, 
um, is pretty awesome. And so for me, I look at what is going to inspire people. Um, I also think that art, so like this, I mean, five years ago, if I would have been like, would would I be a patron of the arts? The answer would have been like, heck no. Like what, I mean, art, but I can tell you when we get to our highest form, when our needs are met, and we're sitting here and like, we look at this, like, you know, Chad with like your son, for instance, the fact that he, you know, works and produces music, that is a form of art. Um, and when you look at, uh, or is it, is it film or music? It was one of the two, right? Music. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, music. Yep. And so that's, that's a form of art. And so for me, I look at uh, something I feel passionate about is inspiring people to figure out what is their art. And art doesn't mean painting a picture. Art can be how I show up energetically, right? How I move my body when I dance any of that type of stuff. And so my property, there's been a shift towards uh, creating, like I have a woodworking shop and metalworking shop, and I've really upped the supplies and that type of stuff. So that if someone wants to come here and build something that helps them in- inspire them, that that's, that's one thing. Like, uh, you know, a couple of the things like I, uh, <laughs> I won't finish it this year before I leave for October, but I am building a tree house. And it's at this point, it's pretty cool, um, but it's in the middle of my woods and there's a zip line to get to it. So you zip line to get to this tree house uh, and the, the tree house when it's all said and done, I'm still going to work out some kinks on it. But the, the vision is, is that literally it's going to be all plexiglass. So from, so you can literally feel like you're inside and outside at all times. Um, but like, that's a, a place where the people can come and stay and feel inspired because it's all this stuff. Like if we want to do these things, it's just one step at a time, uh, to be able to build stuff. And so for me, and like the last piece I'm doing is I'm putting a pond in to swim. And so for me, that's just a, a fun thing for, uh, for us to be able to experience and for people to come. Cause I, cause at the end of the day, I want to create a place that people can come and be inspired by inspire and how they can, what they can do in their own life, whatever, whatever that whatever that passion is for them. Uh, it doesn't have to be a land. It doesn't have to be a tree house or a pond. It could be literally uh, how they want to just show up as a human being every single day. You know, it could be the fact that they, they like to go hiking on in national parks and that's their thing. Um, but I think it's there. So yeah, doing stuff to hopefully inspire people to figure out what their own form of artwork is. That's great, man. Uh, just a quick aside, you swam in college, correct? I did, indeed. University of uh, Wisconsin Lacrosse. You got it. Quick, quick shout out to uh, Professor George Davies, who was at uh, at there. He, he was he's a famous physical therapist who was a professor at a University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Um, I love it. V- very obscure. <laughs> that is super knowledge. obscure. That is <laughs> great. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought I remembered you were a competitive D one swimmer. Yep. Um, the other thing that I wanted to get into, which I did not mention to you in prep for this. Uh, was probably one of the most uh, powerful pieces of advice you gave to me. We're going to talk about the quarterly spouse. Mm-hmm. Re- re- uh, tie a nice bow on that, uh, on this interview with that. But before we get to that, what's the best way, if somebody's listening to this and they want to contact you about um, either staying in the plexiglass treehouse or uh, yeah. to talk about um, wealth advising, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you, Carl? Yeah. Uh, so you can go and I don't know if it's going to be linked anywhere, but you can just go to carldetman.com. Um, that's Carl with K and Detman. They, they can sure it can be put out somewhere. Um, or uh, it would just be my email address, which would be carl.detman at nm.com. But carldetman.com is the, is the easiest one. So Great. I, I'm going to spell it for everybody right now. It's K-A-R-L-D-E-T-T-M-A-N-N. So two T's, two N's, kandcarl.com. You got it. 
Awesome, man. So uh, the one thing that uh, you identify, and I think, uh, when was the first time we were at 2014, New mm-hmm. Jersey, 2015, New Jersey, something like that. Uh, we did a retreat at a, I think it was the New, New Jersey Raceway. Yep. Something yep. like that. Yep. Uh, racing uh, uh, G250s, if I remember right. We, that was fun. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so went to a racing school together and I remember we were having a conversation and talking about, uh, and it, it was, it was a common theme, um, in yep. not only in both of our lives, but other, uh, men that we were talking with. And it's this yep. idea of, you know, it, in most relationships, one person is the, uh, saver future Standard. planner. Yeah. And yep. the other one is you got it. Yin and yang, right. Yep. Right back at it. Totally. So, uh, and I remember the the one piece of advice that you gave us was to have a quarterly uh, meet household meeting, one or two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I set up a spreadsheet because I'm a nerd, and we have you know we look at our assets. We have a game that mm-hmm. we're playing, which is the four percent game. You know how much uh, how much do we need in assets with the real estate, with the businesses, mm-hmm. um, in cash, et cetera, investments, so that um, if we were if all of my wealth earning power went away, money earning power went away, yep. um, that we could sustain the, the lifestyle, continue to raise our six kids and send them off to college and everything else that we, we need to do in life um, mm-hmm. on 4% of our total wealth. And that's the game we're playing. We then look at our expenses over the last quarter and any big expenses that we have coming up, any trips that we have. Uh, we have one, what's our next one? Uh, remodeling a bathroom um, is coming the bathroom is 35 years old it's time for remodel so um yeah so we started doing that and it uh it's not always cake (laughs) and easy Mm -hmm. but at least gets us on the same page where we're we're creating some agreements and it got rid of all the bickering that we were having um on like day-to-day emotional decisions like oh my gosh you went out and bought a new car and didn't tell me or you know whatever I'm being a little dramatic now, but um, yeah, I was wondering like if you could walk people through what that meeting would look like ideally and uh, any other tips that you have for owners. Would love to. So let me tee this up a little bit. So you either have, and this is the way it works with anything in life. You either have a process or you have a problem. And when we look at just money, and this this is very indicative of business owners, at the end of the year, you'll be like, wow, it said I made a lot of money, but where did it all go? Very common. Like you look at your over 10 years, you're like, man, on taxes, it said they made a lot of money, but I don't really have a lot to show for it. Well, in general, especially if you have, and this works even if you don't have a life partner, but if you do, uh, what happens in chat is that hit this on the head. You have one person that's more inclined to be the saver and one person that's more inclined to be the spender. Neither one is better or worse than the other, regardless of how the other person will feel, right? So everybody feels like my way is the right way. Bear, from uh, you know eagle eye view, they both serve a different role and a different perspective. But long story short, and, and, and I can tell you, it's not male or female. It's just typically one spouse is more of a spender. One spouse is more of a saver. Listen to me. You will never view money the same ever. Never, ever, ever. It will never view the same ever. So you just need to stop the conversations around it. But instead, let's put a process in place instead of having a problem because the problem is just we just don't talk about we just don't deal it or we bicker and so what happens is we put ourselves on a decent sized allowance 
Uh, and, and I think about it like this is I break my income into a couple different buckets. The main bucket is what we know is, is our live bucket. So think of that as that's where all the money is up top, live. And all income goes into that live bucket. It's just a savings or checking account. And let's say my monthly lifestyle spend is six grand a month. And let's say what I make is 10 grand a month. So between, between two partners, they make 10 grand a month. And six grand a month is what it takes to like pay the mortgage, pay debt obligations. Um, but this doesn't include things that are out of like your everyday monthly expenses. It doesn't, doesn't include things like a trip to Disney World, for instance, buying new furniture for the house, uh, eating out. And in my case, I just, for the first two times I eat out a week, come out of live account, anything other than that's got to come out of my fun account, which we're going to talk about in a second. But at the end of the day, it's one of these things where it's like my basic living expenses come out of the live account. And let's say that's six grand a month, 10 grand a month total is coming in, which means there's four grand a month left over. Let's just, let's say, and if we want to add in a scenario with kids, we can, but let's do it without kids right now. But you've got a husband and a wife, and now we set up two fun accounts. And so underneath that live account, you have two separate checking or savings accounts, doesn't really matter. And you each agree on what is a monthly amount that you can make do with to get all of your fun stuff. And fun stuff means like the clothing you wear. If you want to go on a guys or a girls trip, if you guys want to go on a family trip together, if you want to buy furniture for a house or you want to get whatever else, or, you know, if I want to go on a hunt, if I want to buy a new bow, hunting bow or a guitar. And let's just, and, and in general, whenever I talk to people and I always say, and this would be a good question to ask you, if I said, what do you need on a monthly basis to just cover your fun expenses? Most people are like, oh man, I only need like 200, maybe 500 bucks a month, which I can tell you right now is not the case. You need more than that um, because what happens uh, and, and let's just say we agree on a thousand dollars a month each. So, so husband and wife agree on a thousand bucks each goes into their bank account and that is your money. You can do whatever you want to do with it. So if you want to go to the casino and you want to gamble it all away every single month, you totally can. Uh, if you win money at the casino and you want to put it back in your fun account, like absolutely. If you win the jackpot and you turn your thousand dollars into a million, I would suggest you add some of that money back into the family pot. You know, we're all here on the same ship. Um, but the point being is, is that, uh, it's your money to do what you want to do with. You do not have to ask permission around what you can or cannot buy. When we, if we don't have it set up this way, meaning like it's just, we have one account, there are acceptable purchases in my life. And like acceptable purchase would be just getting coffee at Starbucks. I don't need to call my partner up if I want to get coffee at Starbucks. And so what ends up happening is I get coffee at Starbucks all the time because it's acceptable. I don't need to call. But if I go and buy a thousand dollar new guitar without saying something, then that might be problematic. This way, if we have it set up where you have your live and fun accounts, literally you can spend that fun account on whatever you want. What ends up happening is, is people then get to ask themselves, what's going to make me happier? Is it going to be getting Starbucks coffee or is it going to be getting that new guitar? Well, guess what? If I forgo the Starbucks coffee for a month and then I have this thousand bucks, I can go buy that new guitar and that's great. And I could buy a new guitar every single month. What happens is people end up shifting how they spend their money and, and it grows. So in the savings account, if I don't blow all thousand bucks, it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And so if I eventually end up with 10 grand in there, great. And that's my money to spend. It is not to save. It is not to pay off debt with. It is just to spend. Uh, what that does is allows people to, to make purchases that make them happier. It also allows you to not have to have constant bickering about what purchases you're making. Because again, and so now if we look at that same scenario, live account, fun account, 6,000 is what comes out of live account, 2,000 total out of the fun accounts because you have your own. That means 8,000. What's left over, hypothetically, is $2,000 a month because I'm making 10 again. For me and my partner, and this is what I would recommend for anybody because we have a process in, again, is four times a year. So once a quarter, we sit down and we talk about where the finances are at. 
And let's say I want to keep $40,000 in cash at all times. So it means that my, in my live account, there's 40 grand. But if every single month went by and I had two grand extra, then let's just say after four months, I've got $8,000 extra. My commitment with me and my partner is that every single quarter we liquidate down to 40,000 again. So if there's a hundred thousand in there. I'm gonna liquidate sixty thousand dollars. If there's eight forty-eight thousand, I'm gonna liquidate. It. So it always goes down to forty. And then there's only three things you can do with that money. You can either spend it, meaning, hey, I want to go to Africa. We're gonna spend that money. I can save it. Hey, we're gonna put that money into our Roth IRAs and save it for retirement. Or I can pay off debt with it. Oh yeah, we have that car mortgage. And we have twenty thousand left, and we just want to pay off the car loan. Great, we pay off the car loan. So what happens with you and your partner or spouse is you're making four big decisions a year as to what you want to do with those money. And, and, what, and you're not going to do each quarter, spend it, spend it, spend it, spend it. You're going to do spend, save, pay off debt, spend, spend, save, save, pay off debt, pay off debt. And so what happens is you have that process and then you're just making four big decisions a year. How most people go from making a lot of money and then saying, well, they have nothing to show for it. It's death by a thousand lashings. It's, it's a, all these teeny little purchases that add up. And at the end of the year, you're like, I just spent $40,000 on coffee and eating out that really didn't, didn't really provide that much fulfillment for me. Um, and so with that, I will stop to see if there's any questions from you on that, but that is a, 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 a all encompassing explanation of, of a process that can work for people and, I've, and has worked for many of my clients. Yeah. I, I didn't even, or maybe I didn't remember the spend it, save it, pay off debt, but that's exactly what we've done like to a T and it, it has worked out so much better. Um, yeah, it, it, unreal. And we, we have agreements on it and it's like, okay, you know, we can, yep pay off the mortgage here, or we can, um, yep. you know, never have a car loan again or whatever it is like uh, yeah. just a very natural and thing to, to gonna, and, and if anybody, if anybody looks at this and they're like, okay, I like what I hear. I don't fully get it. Just reach out to me. I'm literally happy to hop on the phone for five minutes and walk you through and answer your questions. Cause this, that stuff is easy and very impactful. So great. Be the happy to clue people in on that. Yeah. So I, I know there are a, a lot of us out there that have lived through uh, bickering and probably a couple levels of bickering above that, that I really appreciate mm -hmm. going through the passive aggressive uh, arguments. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so, Absolutely. and just want to refresh for everybody. Um, the best way to get in contact with Carl is the carldetman.com. It's K-A-R-L-D-E-T-T-M-A-N-N.com or it was, uh, Carl dot Detman. Detman at and as a Nancy Amazon mother.com. Awesome. And that stands for Northwestern Mutual. Um, mm -hmm. Any other uh, parting words of advice here before we sign off, Carl? This is great. <sighs> you killed it. Yeah. I mean, I thank you. Uh, I mean, I appreciate the time. It's always great talking, Chad. Uh, for me, when I look at just the world and what we're experiencing today, uh, the media may feel like, like we, we, the last couple of years have really been fear-based and, and to me, I look at this, it serves a role and I, and it served a role for human history. Uh, I do think the narrative is shifting and I do think we're a ways away from it. But uh, what I would say is, is if you are, if you feel like you're someone who is in that, is, is, is in the fear space where that's, what's driving your decisions is like, you're afraid of losing, you're afraid of whatever else. Um, what I would just say is, is that you're not alone. Uh, and what I would say is set a, let's set a goal to help shift it where we're looking at opportunities and abundance, because when we remove ourselves from media, we remove ourselves from, from propaganda engines, truly we are living in a time of abundance. 
Um, and, and, and we look at this, we have more than ability, enough ability with technology to be able to connect, like, you know, how you and I are right now. Oh, and this can be filling our cup up. And so if you're looking at this, a great way to feel wealthier, or feel rich is to enrich the relationships you have. That's uh, one of the easiest things I've found to be able to feel like you have a sense of belonging and everything else is, is to, to allow yourself to pour into people you love and adore and allow people that love and adore you to pour into you. So that would be my, my leaving message. Love it, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on here, Carl. Um, for everybody else, uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Grow Your Practice podcast. We'll see you next time. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, Thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.